This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. Surprise! It's a special pop-up episode. I've gotten so many email questions lately, I figured it would be easier to devote an entire episode to answering four or five of them instead of just trying to plan them out several episodes ahead. And to help me answer them is my friend and one of the folks that inspired me to start this podcast, Matt Thacker. Say hello to the people, Matt. Hey, everybody. What an honor this is, Aaron. Uh, Always good to rub shoulders with you. And now to be talking with you on my favorite podcast. This is awesome. Glad to be here. And Matt, let the people know you are, in fact, playing the intros and outros live on today's episode. Oh, absolutely. No question. I couldn't, I couldn't Matt, remember how to play those if you gave me a day to try to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> now, Matt, let's uh, let the listeners know uh, kind of where the genesis of this show came from. A couple months ago, you sent me a tweet saying you'd like to discuss different views of the Force and what it means to you. But before we get to that, let's have the listeners learn a little bit more about you. What is Matt Thacker's Star Wars story? My Star Wars story started in fourth grade. I was 10 years old. Um, and I, I, w- I was born in 1985. And so I missed the whole original trilogy. And I kind of grew up, I don't know, Aaron, was it kind of a dead zone in Star Wars popularity? Kind of the late 80s, early 90s? Like people watched the movies, but I don't remember like a lot of toys coming out and things like that at the time. Well, there were... The two Ewok specials that were mid eighties, okay. and you yeah. had the uh-huh. Ewoks cartoon and the Droids cartoon, okay. but they were only like one or two seasons. Right. In again, in the mid eighties, so that was still probably that was right around the time you were getting born. So right, there wasn't a whole lot. There. Yeah, so I missed everything, and I grew up with parents that were not science fiction fans by any stretch of the imagination. Great parents, but not into that kind of thing. So Star Wars was barely on the periphery of my young vision. Uh, I knew who Luke Skywalker was. I knew who Darth Vader was. I was a young boy, so I knew what a lightsaber was. Um, But it all happened when I moved to a new neighborhood in fourth grade, and I went to school, middle of the school year, and I was desperate, Aaron, to make a friend. I did not want to be that kid who was alone at recess, and I wanted to make a new friend at school. Just one. That was all I asked. So I was there at my first day of fourth grade, sitting at a table with some kids, and the kid next to me, his name was Chris. He's a great guy. We're still Facebook friends to this day. And uh, I don't remember how the conversation started, but he started talking about Star Wars. This kid in like 1994 sitting there talking about Star Wars. And he's like, do you like Star Wars? 
And I thought to myself, I don't like Star Wars at Do all. Do I like Star Wars? I, I, yeah. I don't. <laughs> but this is my chance to make a friend. But do I lie to him? So I looked him dead in the face, Aaron, and I said, I love Star Wars. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Luke Skywalker. Like, I just said the things that I knew to say, you know. <laughs> so then you had to learn all about it just to back that exactly. up. Exactly. I went home and I was like, oh, crap. Like, I, I baited him, but now I got to reel the guy in and everything. I got to keep this friend. And um, so my mom used to take us to the video rental store every weekend to, and my sister and I got to each pick out a, a videotape to watch for the weekend. And for whatever reason, I didn't go with my mom this time, this, this Friday after this incident, but she said, what do you want me to get you? I'll pick it up. I'll bring it back. I said, give me, give me a star Wars movie. She goes, I don't know. I think there's like a couple of them. So do you have a specific one in mind? I, nope, not really. <laughs> Just give me a star Wars movie. I need to have some more ammunition to keep this friend. And so she did. And guess what she came home with? Return, of, Return the of the Jedi. So as a 10-year-old kid, I watched Return of the Jedi with zero context into anything. Uh, and I just had to pick it up as I went along. Who? Oh, I guess Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's dad. Okay, that's cool. Uh, I It looks like this Leia character loves this Han Solo character and he's frozen in a brick. Okay, whatever. Um, and I loved it. I fell in absolute love with it. I finished the film, I rewound it, and I watched it again that very same night. And then I probably watched it six times over that weekend. I kid you not. Next weekend, we went back to the video rental store. I'd found out between that time what that I'd actually just watched the last movie. So I knew that Star Wars A New Hope was the original. It wasn't there. But Empire Strikes Back was. So I got Empire Strikes Back. So And then the next weekend, I was able to get A New Hope. So I watched the three movies in backwards order. But I was hooked from that point. I started reading books at that point. And that was a fun time, too. That was right around the time of that whole relaunch when they re-released the films in THX. And remember they had the... Yeah, that was in the late 90s. Yeah, it was probably yeah. like 1996, 1997 or so. Um, yeah, 97 is when they re-released the special editions in the theaters. So it would have been right around that Before time. then a little bit even. They were the ones that had the black backgrounds with the side hat, the half of each character's face. They had like Darth Vader was on the first film, Stormtrooper on second, Yoda on the third. Because um, I remember I got that set for Christmas that year. And they started re-releasing the toys again. So I kind of came in just at the right time when they started to pick things up again for the special edition re-releases and all of that. So uh, that's kind of where it all started for me. And what about the expanded universe, the books, both Legends and now the canon? I was a big time uh, library goer. I was always a bookworm, always a bookworm. And our library was within walking distance to our home. And one day I just happened to be perusing. I was probably still in fourth grade, maybe fifth grade. And I happened to see a Star Wars book on the shelf. Picked it up, bought it. And then from there on, it was all Star Wars books all the time. They had the little old library system where you could look it up on the computer. It was a computer. It wasn't little card file things. Um, oh, I was a card catalog Were you a CAD kid. cataloger? Card cataloger? Yep. Nice. Yep. Nice. Um, I The computer system was rudimentary enough that it was probably the next thing up from the card catalog. But I could type in Star Wars and it would bring up all the Star Wars results. And I worked my way through every single one of those books. Uh, 
I even made friends with the librarian enough. She knew me well enough that when a new Star Wars book would come in, she would put it aside and she would call my home, just our landline phone, and say to my mother, tell Matthew that a new Star Wars book is here and I can hold it for him until tomorrow before I have to put it on the shelf. And I would go and pick up whichever one it was. There was no internet in that time. So it was just a surprise for me every time a new Star Wars book would be released. It was awesome. It was great. It was like your birthday, like four times a year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Holy crap, it's in. And I would be learning about it basically for the first time just when I'd pick it up. It was an exciting time. It was cool. Mm. Mine was similar. You know, I'm about seven or eight years older than you, so... We did have all three movies on VHS. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't have to rent them, but we had the original three on a VHS box set from the early 80s, and that's what I grew up nice. with. And I think I've said it on the show here before, but so Air of the Empire was published in 1991. I didn't know anything about Star Wars books at that time. I didn't know Star Wars was in mm-hmm. books. So 91, 92 would have been my eighth grade year. And I remember at Christmas in a stocking, I pulled out a book and it was Heir to the Empire, a paperback. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't know they had books for Star Wars. And honestly, I didn't read it to begin with. You know, it's Christmas time. There were other toys. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eighth grade in the winter. I was a basketball player, had a bunch of stuff going on at the time. So it wasn't until sometime in the spring, I want to say basketball season would have had to been over. So it would have been late March or early April when just one day I was like, well, let me pick up this book and see what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So, and then that's where I got involved with history began. Yeah. I remember my first one, that that library book that I told you that I found on the shelf. Again, following my pattern of starting with the last, it was The Last Command was on the shelf. Nice. And I picked it up. And I think I got a little ways into it when I realized that it was actually book three. And then I, if I remember right, I took it back and I found the first book and I kind of restarted and did things well. Nice. But yeah, it was those Zon books. Well, Matt, let's not keep the people waiting with our banter back and forth. Uh, you ready to chat about the force? Love to talk about the force. I'm glad we get to do this. When I originally sent that tweet, it was very much just like, let's talk over Twitter. Let's just exchange a little bit. And then you sent me this invitation and it was like, oh, Christmas. All right, then grab yourself a drink, Matt, and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Okay, the Force. It's an energy field created by life that binds the Star Wars galaxy together. It has intrigued Star Wars fans for over 45 years. What does the Force mean to you, Matt, and why do you think it's so important to Star Wars fans? Good question, and I'm glad you phrase it like that, Of rather than what is the Force, uh, you say what does it mean to me. That would be a tough question to answer, what is the Force. I mean, we've got our standard definition, but... Uh, I remember what Ahsoka said to Ezra in Rebels. She said, in my experience, when you think you understand the Force, you realize just how little you know. But what it means to me, uh, the Force is very much about humanity to me. It's about the type of people we are, and it's about the type of decisions that we make. I tend toward 
more of the concept of the unifying force and a little bit, I subscribe a little bit to the potentium view of the force as well, in that the force is the force is the force. And it's our motivations, our emotions, and our passions that are either light or dark. Um, I've just actually finished the rereading the Darth Bane books. I bought the Essential Legends collections. I'm holding them up to my camera so I can see them now. Oh, the artwork on those are the best. They're just fantastic. In my opinion, of the Essential Legends collection that's been re-released. It's tremendous artwork, particularly on the uh, second one. Yeah. Rule of two. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been excited to read them. I actually just finished book one last night. And Darth Bane talks about this when he is embarking on his, his dark side journey. He talks about, he comes to that realization that his emotions and his passions feed the force, which in turn, the force kind of feeds those passions again in a very cyclical relationship. So to me, it's about how are you approaching the force when you use it? Are you approaching it with compassion, with selflessness, seeking enlightenment or benevolence? Or are you approaching it with hatred and fear and aggression and jealousy? Um, Yoda says it himself on his deathbed, anger, fear, aggression, the dark side are they, right? It's about those emotions that you're feeling. Palpatine teaches it to Anakin when he says that the nature of the force, he kind of says it in a roundabout way, but the nature of the dark side, he said, is selfishness. It's that lust for power and constantly lusting for more power, um, so, and what it means to me is it is about the choices that we make and the emotions that one is embracing when they call upon the force. What are your thoughts? Sometimes when I think about the force, I think it can get a little complicated because personally, mm-hmm. I think what people think about the force within the Star Wars universe, you know, basically coming from George Lucas himself has evolved over time Mm -hmm. like some of the stuff from the original trilogy i'm not gonna say it's changed but like again it's evolved when it comes time to the prequel trilogy and it may have evolved again now with the sequel trilogy sometimes i think it gets a little more complex than what it was originally what i like to think about the force the stuff that yoda and obi-wan try to teach luke in the original trilogy and then another part that's always important to me, and this may have been some of the stuff that evolved a little, there is a five-minute video. You can go to YouTube. You can type it in. It's George Lucas explaining the Force to the Clone Wars writer's room. Mm-hmm. He just lays it out there on a yellow piece of notebook paper, all of his thoughts on the Force. And that's kind of what the force, in my opinion, or I shouldn't say in my opinion, that's the aspects of the force that I like to think about Mm -hmm. in the Star Wars galaxy. Life creates it. It's an energy field that binds the galaxy together. There is one force, but it does have a light and a dark side. Like two sides of the same coin type thing. Correct. Mm -hmm. The dark side is selfishness. The light side is selflessness. The dark side is easy to achieve. The light side is difficult to achieve. And between Yoda talking to Luke on Dagobah in both Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and that video of Lucas talking to the Star Wars, the, the Clone Wars writer's room, 
that's what I like to think about when I'm talking about the force. Some of the other stuff gets a little muddled for me. Just the cosmic my force, the opinion. unifying force, all these different. Yeah, <laughs> that stuff, uh, the stuff, some of the stuff surrounding Anakin, mm-hmm. you know, the chosen one prophecy, bringing balance to the force. Maybe it's been explained to the level that some people like. I just don't understand it, I guess. <laughs> so I, what exactly does the chosen one mean? What does bringing balance to the force mean? I'm not really sure it means anything, or if it does, it's even changed within George Lucas's mind over the years what exactly that means. So I just kind of like to go back to Yoda's teachings on Dagobah. To me, that's what I like to think about when I think about the Force. I think that's a tremendously safe place to way to think about it, and by safe, I mean correct and valid. Um, and I think we're, we're essentially <laughs> saying the same thing. It's, it's, you mentioned the, the dark side is selfishness. The light side is selflessness. A lot of it, it's so intertwined with our emotions. Um, and I like the balance thing. It, it, it's almost like you have to step back and not think about it too hard, uh, about just bringing balance emotionally to yourself and how that feeds the force. It's a big thing that Qui-Gon was focused on, um, a bit in the films, but definitely when we see uh, Qui-Gon on page in some of his books, uh, he was very much about the finding balance emotionally and how that brings about kind of a balance in the force. When you're giving into the dark side emotions of anger, selfishness, revenge, that tends to corrupt your soul to the point that you're so far to the, well, I'm not trying to be political. We'll just no, I'm not even going to say it left or right because it's just too politically charged of a climate right now. But you're so far to one side of the spectrum, that's how we'll say it, um, that you can't achieve balance when you're fed by revenge or anger or something like that. On the other hand, and this was a big thing for Qui-Gon, was that when you're adhering to such a strict code as the Jedi were adhering to during Qui-Gon's time and before, that could also lead to a rigidity that prevents finding balance, right? You'll break before you bend with some of that Jedi code stuff back then. So balance individually amongst individuals is finding that middle ground between finding, you know, between two opposing sides of too much, right? Um, And Anakin had to find that. Yeah, I like to think, you know, sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll say, well, Anakin brought balance in a way, by ending the Jedi Order, now there were two Jedi and two Sith. Oh, I don't like oh. to think of balance that, that way, literally? that it's a numbers game. <laughs> yeah, that it's a numbers game. <laughs> when I think of balance in the Star Wars universe, I think of a galaxy at peace. <laughs> a galaxy, like you said, the, the rise of the dark side in the Star Wars galaxy is the slow rise of corruption over millennia. For me, balance in the Force is ending that corruption. Like you said, ending the stodginess of the Jedi Order. It wasn't the end of the Jedi Order. Mm -hmm. It was... Like I said, the galaxy could be at peace, that the Jedi could find another way than 
I don't know, the black and white way they were looking Completely, at everything. Yeah, eliminating all attachment, which was at the point they were at, right? Is you couldn't Yeah, even... Obi-Wan tells Anakin that only a Sith deals in absolutes. Well, what was the Jedi Order doing absolutes. for decades up to that? <laughs> Not to mention that what he said was an absolute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you look at it, what happened to Anakin? Anakin loved Padme, absolutely. He loved her so much, though, that it became all about him. It became selfish. It became possessive. He, What does he say to Palpatine? I can't live without her. It became about him. That's what the Jedi were worried about, was that attachment leading to selfishness and possessiveness and the dark side, essentially. Uh, but it's about bringing that emotion back. It's interesting that Anakin's love for Padme eventually led him down an extreme path one way, and it was actually kind of his love for Luke and by extension Leia that led him back. And that's a very balancing uh, result too, I think. Yeah, what is it they say? If you truly love someone, you have to be willing to let them go. Sure. And Anakin was unwilling to let Padme go. Mm -hmm. That was what Anakin's downfall was. Yeah, it's a, and so it's about knowing when to say when. One thing... And this is on a slightly different topic, but it is, it deals with the force. When I was going over some of this stuff uh, to get ready for today's discussion, one thing that I had never really noticed before that I'm sure many people that have studied Star Wars have noticed are the things that Yoda tells Luke as he's prepared to go into the dark side cave on Dagobah mm. and how it's almost one for one what happens in the throne room in the second Death Star. Okay. Okay. He tells Luke that he has to go in there. Luke goes into the throne room. Mm -hmm. Luke asks, you know, what's in there? Yoda tells him only what you take with you. He tells Luke, your weapons, you will not need them. How does Luke eventually bring Anakin back? He takes his lightsaber and he throws Turns it away. Turns it off, chucks it to the side. Yep. All of that is in what Yoda tells Luke going into the dark side cave. Good point. Mm -hmm. When Luke does cut the specter of Vader's head off in that dark side cave, he sees himself. He sees Luke. Right. When he cuts Vader's hand off in the throne room, he looks down at his mechanical hand. Love it. All of that stuff is in there. Mm -hmm. Love it. And to me, part of that is what George was talking about in those scenes about the Force. The selfish part, the part where you take an access to power quickly, is Luke in the dark side cave. He takes his power, he uses the force, he kills Vader. Well, when he kills Vader, he looks down, it's himself. In the throne room, he defeats Vader, but just before he is ready to give in to the power that he's gotten and take his father out, he stops. You see him take a breath. You see him literally take a breath. He balances. 
And then he shuts the green lightsaber off, mm -hmm. he turns around, he throws it away. Correct. Because, and this is something I have said before, everyone always says that Luke defeated Vader and the Emperor. Nope. Luke did not go there to defeat Vader and the Emperor. Luke went there to save his father's soul. That's the only reason he went there. And in the end, that's what he did. And Vader defeated, or Anakin defeated the Emperor. I love that. I'm glad that you brought that up. I had the same note, kind of, kind of about finding balance that you were mentioning about Luke pulling back at the exact moment when he was giving into aggression and could have gone the distance and killed Vader. He pulls back, balances himself out, and finds that kind of that sweet spot. I love that. I, I love that idea that a lot of it is about your intention and who you are as a person. Um, also in Return of the Jedi, a, a little talks about seeing Luke's first act in Return of the Jedi is force choking unsuspecting Gamorrean guards, right? I mean, these guys were just doing their jobs. And he's doing the same thing that Darth Vader does to Captain Nita in a previous film. They would have taken him right into Jabba's throne room anyway. <laughs> he could have... They could have Easily gotten where the where he needs to go. <laughs> good call, good call. And they would have stopped him. They would have turned around. They would have brought him uh, in. No need to choke him. So in my intention, that's that's a bad thing that he did. But does that make him a bad guy? No, because it's about what he was going in there to do. Was he going in there feeling that hatred and fear and aggression? And no, he was going in there wanting to save his friends. And so. That's, that's where the emotion and the intention comes into the force. And you see that all throughout the Star Wars films. Um, even Jedi <laughs> mind tricks make me think, is that super ethical what you're doing right now <laughs> to, to get your way? Um, but it's often with the intention of helping somebody else. And I know I'm skirting a kind of dangerous line of the ends justifying the means by saying stuff like that. But it really is those motivations and bringing them into balance we're still a little murky on what Luke's actual plan was for saving Han in Jabba's palace. That, but that could be a whole other episode. To save that could, that's a whole <laughs> other episode is deconstructing that plan, which on the surface just seems awful. <laughs> which I, I'm still not sure anyone actually understands what the plan is. Not even the people that are involved. I do it. have a write up on it. I'll send it to you sometime. I, I sat awesome. and devoted way too much thought to what in the world was Luke and co doing here. And, uh, mm. I came up with something, but well, that's a story for another day. Well, great talk, Matt. Yeah. Uh, so after the break, you ready to answer a few questions from the listeners? Can't wait. We'll do that right after the break. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the star Wars legends lounge. Thanks for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to suggest a book from Star Wars canon. Queen's Shadow is the story of Padme Amidala, after she steps down as queen and steps up to represent Naboo in the Galactic Senate. Together with her loyal handmaidens and the help of new allies, Padme tries to navigate the labyrinth that is galactic politics on Coruscant. That's Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnston.
Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, alongside my buddy Matt from the Davos Fingers podcast. Matt, let's open up the old mailbag, answer some of the listener questions. Can't wait. Let's do it. Question number one. This comes from listener Jonathan, who says, Thank you for all your hard work on the show. It's gotten me interested in reading books from Legends, which I've never done before. My question is... For people who haven't started reading Legends books yet, where do you think the best starting points are? My current plan is to read the Heir to the Empire trilogy, and I'll likely hit the Darth Bane trilogy after that. I wondered if you thought there should be other works included in an early Legends reading list. Well, the first thing I got to say, Jonathan, is you picked two great trilogies to start that check on. And Heir check and Heir to the Empire, and... regardless of where you want to start in Legends, I always suggest starting with the Heir to the Empire trilogy. It is really the first set of books that ignited all of the publications in Legends in the 90s and early 2000s. Now, were there a few books before that? Yes. But they were sporadic throughout the 80s. But the Heir to the Empire trilogy is what really kick-started Star Wars publication. It's a great place to start. Agreed. Heir to the Empire. Uh, and just because so much branches off then from those stories that is picked up in earlier books before they, well, books that on the timeline take place before Heir to the Empire, but also after. Um, another trilogy that has a lot that springs from it is the Jedi Academy trilogy by Kevin Anderson. A lot of characters and events spring off from that one. So I would recommend that one too. And it takes place, what, like a year after the Heir to the Empire stuff, Aaron, I think? Yeah, somewhere around there, about a year or two after the Heir to the Empire trilogy ends. ends. Yeah. So I would definitely start with those and then the Darth Bane trilogy, like I mentioned earlier. That's absolute legendary uh, Star Wars trilogy. So I love that. Then, you know, maybe start at Truce at Bakura and start working your way down the timeline after that. But I would definitely recommend those two trilogies or three trilogies first. One thing for Jonathan and any other person that is interested in reading the Legends books, I usually ask three things. One, do you have a particular era of Star Wars mm-hmm. that you really like? Do you like the Rebellion era? Do you like the prequel era? Do you like what would take place after Return of the Jedi? Do you like stuff that takes place in the ancient past? Whatever era you really have an interest in is the era where I would begin. (laughs) I like that. Um, If you have any questions, because there are great books in any of those eras. Now, with anything, there are good books, there are bad books, there are good comics, there are bad comics. I wholly admit to seemingly being the only Legends fans that, only Legends fan that I know of, that unironically likes the Crystal Star. I, I like the Crystal Star. <laughs> that was one of our first conversations just, we ever had. <laughs> I am not going to say it's a good book because that's for you to decide. But you like it. I understand the reasons people do not like it. I understand that. Some of those reasons are why I actually do like it. <laughs> I can't wait for your episode on that one. Yeah, we'll, we'll save that for later. But anyway... So if you like stuff that takes place in the ancient past, you got the Bane Trilogy. It's a great place to start. 
there are books that take place before the Bane trilogy. If you're a really big video game player, I'm not. I think the last video game I probably played was Super Mario Brothers on the original Nintendo. <laughs> but there are books based off of the Knights of the Old Republic video game. There's the Revan books. After the prequel trilogy came out, the books line up a little better in the timeline, if you ask me. And if you are a prequel trilogy kid, there are tons of prequel novels. But I would always suggest starting with the Heir to the Empire trilogy, just because that is the answer for what takes place after Return of the Jedi. And look, we're getting stuff from that trilogy now in canon. In canon. Grand Admiral Thrawn. As a whole book canon. series, just about him in canon. It's crazy. He's returned as a villain in Rebels, and a, he's obviously going to be in the Ahsoka show, we think. <sighs> Fingers crossed. I don't know. So, yeah. Great question, John. Yes. Thanks. Should we go to question number two from Billy? He says... Could you explain the relationship between the legend stories across mediums and Lucasfilm? How did the stories get cleared or approved? How much input did Lucasfilm have? And what do we know about the process for aligning this massive amount of content? Did Lucasfilm have final say on stuff? Yes. Was George Lucas heavily involved with the publishing of expanded universe novels? Absolutely not. Uh, Honestly, George has given some contradictory responses himself. For the most part, he said that the authors could do what they wanted. That's their stories. My stories were the films. But there are a handful of times where Lucas would step in with a note. So the first expanded universe novel was Splinter of the Mind's Eye. It was published in 1978 by Alan Dean Foster. And that was the guy that George had commissioned to do the novelization of A New Hope, which actually came out before the movie. So if you were a sci-fi fan and you went to a bookstore, you could have gotten the book before... Star you Wars could actually hit the theaters say, in '77. I like the book more than the movie. Wow. <laughs> I, I just I can't imagine that's, that. That's wild mm-hmm. to me. That's just completely wild. Why are they calling them lightsabers? <laughs> I thought they were called laser swords. Nope. I, nope. Wrong. <laughs> Splinter of the Mind's Eye was an idea that Lucas did have. Now he didn't run with it because he thought that Star Wars was going to be a financial flop. He did not believe he was going to make any more movies, and that's why Star Wars, the original movie, A New Hope, is a much more contained story than all the other films. He made changes to it, so it could just be one contained movie. But on the offshoot, that it just made enough money that he could do a second film, he had an idea for an extremely small-scale story, and he gave, I guess, the outline of that to Alan Dean Foster, and he ran with it. So that is the one story that you can say 
that Lucasfilm, he, he heavily influenced. That is the one sure. that he heavily influenced. Yeah. Now, were there other things that he influenced? Yes. In the Air to the Empire trilogy, Timothy Zahn wanted Luke to face clone Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Lucas nick- nixed that. So that's why you have the clone Jedi Master Jerus Sabaoth. When we get to the new Jedi Order series, and I don't want to spoil a lot. Well, whatever. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. You don't want to hear about it. Fast forward about 20 seconds in this. Anakin Solo was supposed to be the hero going forward. Jason Solo was the one that was supposed to die in the New Jedi Order. And Lucas nixed it. He told him to swap it. And I guess I can understand it, considering how important Anakin Skywalker was going to be to the prequel trilogy. Yeah. Lucas didn't want to run the risk of having two Anakins out there and having people confused. A little too on the nose, too. Yeah. <laughs> with the name. <laughs> so, particularly with the early Legends stories, the ones in the 80s, and then, of course, all the ones in the 90s, and then right up to Attack of the Clones. Even the ones that came out after The Phantom Menace, Lucasfilm was a little hands-off on. But after Attack of the Clones, between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, that's when you see a lot of stories in Legends start to line up with the actual Star Wars timeline. And I'm not sure that Lucas still had a whole lot of influence on what the authors wrote about, or the authors just took it upon themselves to line everything up content-wise. Yeah, yeah. It does feel like there's a more concerted effort rather than just release a new book here, release a new book there. Um, Before the prequel trilogies were released, you don't see a lot of books, actually like none, that address the rise of the Empire or the Clone Wars or Anakin Skywalker's history. Uh, those kind of things had been kind of said, okay, you authors can write whatever you want, said George Lucas, but these topics, nope, those ones are for me. <laughs> and, and Yeah, you weren't allowed to write about three characters. You could not write about Anakin. You could not write uh, Anakin Skywalker. You could not write about Yoda, and you could not write about Obi-Wan Kenobi. You weren't allowed to write about those three characters. And if you look at the books that were released prior to the prequel films, none of them do. It's interesting. Uh, and then, you know, like you mentioned, the New Jedi Order, there's also a character, no spoilers, but there's a, a major-ish Star Wars character that is killed off in those uh, in those New Jedi Order series. And I've read accounts of them having to get George's permission to do stuff like that, too, which he granted in this case. So, mild involvement. Yeah, I would say mild. That's That's a good way to put it. Okay, question three today comes from AJ. I'm fairly new to Star Wars Legends. I'm part of the prequel generation, and I'm most fond of the clones in the 501st. I remember during your Wraith Squadron arc that you talked about your military background impacting how you feel about Wraith and Rogue Squadrons. Are there any ground units you fell in love with because of your military experience? As a military man myself, Captain Rex stands out to me as one of the best leaders, not just tactically, but because of the bond he has with the clones under him. Well, Matt, I guess I'll take this one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) AJ, I'll be 100% honest. I have never been deployed outside the United States. 
my military experience is going to be different from a lot of people's military experience. I am a professional aircraft mechanic, and that's really the only job I've had on cargo aircraft. Originally C-5, now I'm on C-17s. I agree with you. I think the ground troops that I like the best in Star Wars are the clones. Not specifically the 501st, but just the clones. And honestly, it's really only because of the Clone Wars television show. Um, before that, there wasn't a whole lot. Although, and this could go back to Jonathan's question back at number one, there is an excellent series of books, at least in my opinion, the Republic Commando series. Uh, it's about a squad of clones. Um, Hard Contact, I believe, is the first one. And then True Colors, I think, is the second one. I don't have them in front of me. I'm just trying to, mm. you know, off the top of my head. But, uh, but yeah, they're an excellent series of books. Now, these are books that came out during the prequels. So there are clones in there, but they're not the ones from the animated show. They're not 501st. Um, but it's an excellent series of books. My guy in Star Wars is Fives. Mm. Uh, season four, the four episodes or Umbara, when it's Rex, Fives, Jesse, Tup, Hard Case. That's besides the last four episodes, the Siege of Mandalore, I think the Umbara arc is the best arc in the show. And I think that's where you see Rex and the camaraderie that he has with the clones. Yeah. And it's a camaraderie formed through the shared military experiences that they had. Yeah, the Crucible, for sure. For me, uh, Hans Endor team. I love those guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I want to learn more about nice. those guys. <laughs> is that Rex? <laughs> There's, it, it's, from what we know, that guy isn't Rex, but Rex is there. Okay, I love it. From everything that Dave Filoni says. I love it. That specific guy is not Rex, but Rex is there. (laughs) And in one of the Galaxy of Heroes animated shorts, you see Rex there on Endor. You see at in the spot where, you know, the Empire traps them in the bunker Mm -hmm. and brings them all out. Rex is one of the ones that they have... And he's, his hands are up in the air. Oh, no he's dressed the same as that guy uh-huh. that everyone thinks is, he's dressed the same. And they're kind of close to each other standing there. But Rex still has his forearm oh, nice. protection bracers of his, of his generation one clone, clone armor. armor. Love those. it. That's so cool. <laughs> Great. Email four from Nick. He's got a fun question. He says, if you were in the Star Wars universe, would you want to be force sensitive or not? And if so, what color lightsaber would you carry? I always say I would want to be force sensitive, but I often shift between a green lightsaber or none at all. Well, I would love a lightsaber. Yeah, no matter what, I want a lightsaber. I'd love to be able to use the force. I'd love to have a lightsaber. Green's my favorite color. So green's my answer. Maybe we could get a different shade of green, like a like a jungle green or or something like that would be kind of cool. But 
just a good old fashioned, not a double bladed, not a force whip, none of that stuff. Just a straight up good old fashioned lightsaber for me. You and I are on the same page. Yeah. I would want to be force sensitive. My favorite color is green. Yes. I'd want to have a green lightsaber. If I didn't have the green, though, I would want a yellow lightsaber. Yellow? I think that's a cool color looking lightsaber. Too. That is cool. And then I, I, I don't want to be those Jedis that eschews firearms. I want a good old Han Solo DL-44 blaster on my other hip. <laughs> All right. Our fifth and final question of the day comes from Adam all the way in the UK. It says, we know that family lineage has a large impact on the potency of one's force ability. Question one, do you think there's a limit to someone's potency with the force, or could you effectively breed the power of Yoda and Palpatine? And two, do you think future generations, like the Solo kids, Skywalker kids, and Alana Solo, were more or less powerful than their parents, and as a result of their lineage, or through chance and luck? I think the force, it has been shown, does go through bloodlines to an extent. To an extent. Mm -hmm. It's called the Skywalker Saga. So yes, all of the Skywalkers in the saga are going to be force sensitive. I think potency of the force... I've actually heard Lucas kind of describe the force as something that everyone has, but it's almost like an athletic mm -hmm. ability. Some people naturally are more gifted than others. Mm. And even the ones that are more naturally gifted... Only through training can they become, quote-unquote, powerful like a Jedi or a Sith. So I do think some aspects are familial, but I also like the thought that is in new canon. I shouldn't say new canon. That's in canon. That anyone can use the Force. We see Finn is Force-sensitive. He was a child that was stolen and raised as a stormtrooper. Turns out he's Force-sensitive. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah, you see um, Chirrut in Rogue One, who's thinks of himself as not Force-sensitive um, and maybe isn't. That's an interesting one. That's more of the Force as a religion and was the Force kind of protecting him at the end when he went and was able to push the button. To link up the Sure, but the I think thing. both he and Jyn Erso's mother, Lyra, mm. while maybe they can't use the Force or feel the Force, they know that the Force has an influence right. on them. And almost like that faith and that influence ends up benefiting them at times. Thank you very much for the email, Adam. And thank you to Jonathan, AJ, Billy, and Nick. Great questions, yeah. everyone. Remember, if you have a question or comment, Email the show, swlegendslounge at gmail.com, or send a tweet at legendslounge1. So Matt, almost time to wrap up, but one last thing. We have a listener fighter squadron this week, and you only have yourself to blame. You're the one who thought of this. <laughs> Today's squadron comes from Victor, who named his group Twilight Squadron after his favorite canon book, Battlefront Twilight Company. So Matt... Who's on Victor's list? Well, let's start with uh, that, the One Flight. The commander of Twilight One and the One Flight leader, Anakin Skywalker. Twilight Two, his son, Luke Skywalker. Twilight Three, Luke's friend, Wedge Antilles. And Twilight Four, Luke's gunner at the Battle of Hoth, Dak Ralter. Two Flight is led by Twilight Five, Han Solo. 
Twilight 6 is Din Djarin, Twilight 7, Boba Fett, and Twilight 8 is Jedi Master Plo Koon. Hmm, some guys who I wouldn't imagine in a Starfighter cockpit, but I like it. Then we go to Three Flight, who is led by Twilight 9, Biggs Darklighter. Welcome back, Biggs. Uh, Twilight 10, his nephew Gavin Darklighter. Twilight 11 is Corrin Horn. And Twilight 12, Aaron, Jack Porkins. Mm, great selections, Victor. Twilight Squadron. Again, everybody, keep them coming. We love these. Send me your Starfighter Squadrons. They can be from anything. Movies, books, television shows, animation, comics, canon, legends, even non-canon stuff. I don't care. There's no rules. Just tell me who would make the most awesome fighter squadron from your favorite characters. I love reading. They're great. These are really fun, aren't they? Yeah, I love them. I love them. Keep them coming, please. Coming up on the next regularly scheduled episode, it's The Cestus Deception, a Clone Wars novel by Stephen Barnes. And you can look for that episode to be released on September 2nd. Nice. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. And Matt, thank you so much for coming on to today's special pop-up episode. It was a blast, my friend. I love chatting with you about the Force and these great user questions. Hopefully we can do it again sometime. And of course, you can listen to Matt on his podcast, Davos Fingers, with his buddy Scott Thompson. Go ahead. I was going to say, we cover the A Song of Ice and Fire series. So if you're into that, the, the books that the Game of Thrones television series is based on, check us out, Davos Fingers. Until next time, I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember what we say, Matt. There's always a bit of truth in Legends.